start the podcast off on a rude note, but after that Burnley win, two words, thank fuck. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Red Voices, ladies and gentlemen. Ewan and Rich on duty tonight to discuss, uh, shall we say, colourful few weeks for United. Defeats against Brighton Spurs and a relieving win at Turf Moor to go over tonight. But first off, a quick word from our dear old Rich Can. That's tricks. Hello, not too bad. It's it's a lot nicer having to have two weeks off Premier League football knowing that we've, we've won a game at least. Against the mighty Burnley. The mighty Burnley. What, what tremendous opposition they proved to be. Oh, absolutely. You know what the old parlance, can we play every week? Can we play that team every few days when we're low on yeah. confidence and not really playing that well? It's it's interesting, actually. I got um I got 10-1 to 1 on Burnley to get relegated this season. It was done mainly on the basis that they've got a tiny squad and they had to do play Europa League as well. And I was frigging made... I didn't realise I had to get through about 10 rounds of games to get through to the group stage. But you can see how it's already had a quite a significant impact on on them in the Premier League. They've been absolutely hopeless, really. And if that's, mm. you know, they're going to have to improve an awful lot from the effort they put up against United at the weekend to stay up, really. But yeah, but I mean, United played well, United played well as well. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it wasn't a uh, swashbuckling performance, but it got the job done, didn't it? You know, it was yeah. helped, certainly, as you mentioned there, that Burnley just looked knackered already. Their performance was certainly lacking the intensity that you typically associate with this tie, and it certainly was nowhere near as defensively certain as normal from Burnley. I mean, normally these games aren't particularly, you know, hugely scoring either way for us. So I guess the fact that we created so many chances was a positive. But yeah, I think it certainly helped that Burnley were unwitting opponents yesterday. But I guess before we actually get too deeply into that game, which we've got to trudge through some sludge before. So uh, let's take our minds back just under two weeks ago to that uh, wonderful Sunday afternoon over at the South Coast where we decided to pop over to Brighton. A team that they've won two and twelve, and they've both been against us. Yep. Good oh. God! I mean, what a terrible old performance that was—that three-two defeat. I mean, that was a proper spanner in the works. I mean, not necessarily that the Leicester performance was, you know, confirmation that gosh, everything's going to be okay. It was just a proper kick in the stomach for that first forty-five minutes in particular. And coming after what was a really heartening performance by the women's team against Liverpool, you know, with that late winner in their first game since being reformed, a proper downer, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, that was a bad, that was a bad, bad performance. I mean, the Leicester game, United won, but I think we were hugely benefited by the early goal. Really, Leicester dominated, certainly the the first half and, and portions after that. And we really kind of scraped home, conceded the, the goal at the end and kind of panicked. And really, that was exactly what happened in Brighton. There was nobody on the pitch who was at it at all. They scored their first goal. We just mentally just collapsed you know it's kind of the sign of a team that is really I don't know about broken it, it, it the team looked a bit broken there's some there's something not right with this team at the moment it's almost a bit of a hangover from the summer and um and Mourinho's negativity I don't I don't know what it is but this team just it doesn't look quite right and as we saw again for the Spurs game we conceded a goal and then collapsed I, I'd like to try and think of a single positive performance uh, element to that I suppose Luke Shaw has had a strong start to the season. He was good again against Spurs and against Burnley as well. But apart from that, absolutely everybody from manager to one two eleven was god awful for the vast majority of that game. And it was very, mm. very chasing. It's it's one of the. I mean, people say this lightly, but it, it genuinely was one of the worst United performances I have ever seen <laughs> in all my many decades. There were no, there were no redeeming factors to it really, apart from Lukaku scoring and and Shaw being reasonable. But that, apart from that, nobody turned up. No, I mean it's a chastening experience, wasn't it? You know, you, you said you weren't sure what was really wrong with United, but I think it, it was just that fragility, and it felt very much like 
the last six, seven months of Van Gaal's reign where when United concede a goal, if they don't get the first goal, and that's it. And that yeah. sort of showed it against Spurs too. You know, that was a very similar sort of narrative in the sense that, you know, we weren't looking too shaky until we conceded and then we fell apart and then heads dropped. There didn't seem to be any belief in us getting back in the game. Mm. Things just did not get any better from there. You know, it was very, very difficult to watch. Think back to the Leicester game. The difference between that performance and the Brighton performance in terms of what we provided defensively was gigantic. You know, Bayern Lindelof, all right, they weren't perfect. And, you know, they were definitely culpable for that late goal that Vardy scored. But the difference in performance and concentration and reading of the game between that game and Brighton was absolutely huge. You know, both of them at fault for Glenn Murray's first goal. You know, Grove stealing in two minutes later in a completely shambolic defensive corner two minutes later. And the penalty, oh, by the penalty, good grief. It's just such a needless tackle. Phil Jones against Hazard in the cup final a couple of months ago. All that all over again, you know, from two players who you thought, right, they've had an encouraging start to the season. You want to see them try and gel. You want to see them play more often. You want to see performances of that level of concentration more often. Again, it wasn't perfect, but it was a step in the right direction. Imagine that Leicester performance is one step forward. That Brighton performance was 7,000 steps back. The thing was as well, exactly the same with that Spurs game. We got a very good early chance with Lukaku and, you know, love that man, but he fluffed his lines. And again, if we don't get that early goal and we concede, then that's where the problems lie. And I think it did Brighton something of a disservice that the game ended up as close as it was. Obviously, that Pogba penalty came so, so late in the game that it was essentially pointless. But 3-2 didn't necessarily tell the whole story. We were just turgid for that first half. We didn't have any verve. Defensively, we were all over the shop. And again, you know, it's one of those things where teams like Brighton pull at their performance level when they're playing the bigger teams, and we just don't seem to have an answer for it. I don't think it was that. I don't think they did. I don't think they put their performance level up. I think we were just so dire that... Didn't they just smell blood? I don't know what... Somebody said afterwards, I might have been on the... Perhaps on Five Live afterwards, but they were saying that Brighton won't have an easier home game than that this season. And I would be surprised if they if they do. You know, but it was easy. It's easy for everybody to sort of pull out there if only Edward Ward had signed Toby Alderweireld and none of this would have happened. And of course, we should have signed Toby Alderweireld. We could have done with a much better centre-back. But the issue with that performance in particular, the issues were from the front to the back. It wasn't just that United defended poorly. It was that we couldn't do the basics in possession. Couldn't string three passes together. There was absolutely nothing... Everybody was just running around out of position. Just There was no shape to what we were doing. There was nothing to it. It was just as if it, it was like a Sunday league game where the manager would just said, go on, go and just do your best and have fun. But not have fun, but, you know, go, go and do your best and express yourselves or whatever. And, and everyone was just running around with no cohesion at all. It was absolutely abject. It really was bad. And I think Brighton played well, but they didn't have to, to do much to win that game. No, no, absolutely not. And I think the, the chastening... Well, I... <laughs> So many chasing elements to that game, but just the second half performance was just nothing, really, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, no reaction. We just couldn't create anything, no. you know, and it was telling that, I think, to be fair, we got quite lucky with the penalty in the end. You know, there was no step up in intensity. Yes, we definitely had, did slightly better with the ball, but certainly not in a real meaningful way. And after that performance, especially after winning against Leicester and hoping there was a little bit of positivity coming back into it, that was a... a proper bitch slap back down to reality and then you know you move on to last Monday against Spurs keeping that first half in context that was definitely better I wouldn't say it was great and it was really encouraging 
but it was positive. You know, we were on the ball a lot more. We were looking a lot more willing to run at Spurs and we created a fair amount of space for ourselves on various occasions. I think it's also telling that the best chance of our game in general, that chance for Lukaku with the open goal, came from a defensive lapse by Spurs. We had a couple of chances here and there, but our best chance came as Danny Rose just fluffed his lines. Now, from that tight of an angle, you know, you can kind of understand why Lukaku didn't get it. He might have had a chance to take another touch and perhaps score from there. But a player of his calibre from that position, you want him to score and you expect him to score. And it was a big disappointment that he, that he didn't. Yeah. You know, and again, I go back to Van Gaal. It's just like the end of his era. You know, if we don't get that first goal, we pass up off the couple of chances that we make, we struggle. And that's exactly what happens. You know, again, it was a positive first half and we definitely had the better of the chances in that first 45 minutes. But as soon as Harry Kane got that header, and again, poor defending from Phil Jones, you know, he was just nowhere. He knows full well that Harry Kane is excellent in the air. And Kane had had essentially a nothing game up to that point. But I guess that's a sign of true quality. You know, he got that corner. Excellent header. De Gea had no real chance. And that was 1-0. And at that point, again, just very, very similar to Brighton. You know, the goal came in, what, two, three minutes immediately afterwards? Lucas Moura with, with his first of those two? It just that concentration. It just dipped straight away. It just seems like when we can see the first goal at the moment, and I'm hoping this isn't going to be a terminal issue because if it is, we're in real trouble. But when we can see that first goal at the moment, heads drop immediately and the other team senses blood and they go for it and they are picking up on our mistakes and we are getting punished a lot lately. I'll tell you what what that, that game reminded me of and we've seen it we've seen it reversed so often with, with United. That game looked to me like a kind of bottom half Premier League team that throws absolutely every ounce of energy at the opposition in the first half. They press them. You know, we pressed we pressed Spurs so well in the first half. You know, I, I have no idea why we don't press in some games. We just don't bother pressing at all in the opposition's half. But we did that really well. We played with tempo and intensity, but it just looked to me like a sort of average Premier League team that was throwing everything at the high quality opposition in the first half, really hurrying them, not giving them time on the ball. But once that energy and that tempo dropped, then then the team with the real quality just came through and comfortably won the game and it felt a bit like that and you're right it was exactly the same again we conceded a really soft goal and then basically just fell apart and I, I don't think it was helped by Mourinho deciding to play Ander Herrera at centre-back as well which was a very strange one and you know ultimately all three of the centre-backs were culpable for Spurs' goals Jones just had an absolute nightmare and then sprinted off injured perhaps never to be seen again just Forrest Gump down the tunnel didn't he <laughs> I think Luke Shaw was good again. I think we've got to keep saying Luke Shaw. I mean, I've I've written Luke Shaw off the end of last season. I I just I just thought it's not happening for him. It's just not coming back, and perhaps he's been diminished by that, by the injury. But well, certainly the, the first four games of this season, he looks a different player again. He looks like he's got that that forward drive and that pace and power, and really doing helpful things going forward, and not really making any terrible mistakes at the back. So I mean, he had a good game, but. I still feel this is a, a semi-broken team, and I know this. Is, you know, we talk about wider issues about where we think Mourinho is going with this team, and can he take us where we need to go? I think this, there's something fundamentally broken about this team now with Mourinho, and that we'll win games like we did at the weekend, particularly if we score the first goal. But we'll also have a lot of setbacks where we just don't turn up, and we we concede first, and we're just hopeless. And I think that pattern's probably going to continue all all season you know it's, it's difficult to quite know where we go from here I, I, you know what what we want inside I mean we, it's a again it's a wider discussion we've been talking about how the fan base has become quite divided hasn't it 
and everybody's kind of been pigeonholed as you're either Mourinho out, you hate him, you don't want him to succeed, or you're Mourinho in and it doesn't matter what happens, you'll like absolutely refuse to accept that he's done anything wrong. Whereas of course the you know, there's more of a middle ground. It's and as you, you said on Twitter actually, I think, to somebody who was kind of sort of emphasizing that division, that we all want Mourinho to succeed. We want him to work it out and make United great again. The question is just whether we feel that can happen or not. And I really, really want him to, to suddenly find the answer and, and, and everything suddenly click into place. But at the moment, that looks an awfully long way away. I, I will feel better the first time United concede the first goal and respond in the way that we expect a United team to. But until then, I'm very wary. I think there's something fundamentally wrong psychologically with this Mourinho team now. I don't know. I don't I don't think Mourinho's lost them as human beings. I don't think he's lost them as a manager. I don't think they dislike him. Well, most of them, I don't think most of them dislike him. I just think they've got a crisis of confidence in what they're trying to achieve. And that's got to be something that we're going to have to overcome if we want to really do something this season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly the wrong time for people to be saying you're either with us or against yeah. us. You're either pro-Mourinho or anti-Mourinho. I just... That just, it's so reductive to me. I don't understand it. You know, surely the end game here for everyone is that United succeed. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I will feel better when United can go behind and respond and we don't look at a 1-0 deficit as terminal or we look at at falling behind and we respond appropriately and we raise our game. That will be a sign of progress because that will prove that they've actually got the capability to do that in this current circumstance. And we had that several times last season and it caused issues. But, you know, in the last couple of weeks, it's been a gigantic problem. And had that happened against Burnley at the weekend as well, I'm sure a lot of eyes would have rolled. But at the same time, yeah, I do want Mourinho to succeed. History is against him to a certain extent when it comes to these situations, when he reaches the third season and he's not getting the same levels out of his players as you'd assume he would be able to. Or he's not, his team aren't functioning at a level that would be deemed appropriate. That is the main problem here. It's not so much that we don't think Mourinho is completely terrible at his job, but Mourinho is the person who sends this team out. He's the one who chooses the tactics, or at least is a huge part of that. I don't know if he's been delegating that to anyone. But this is his team. And if it's not functioning, you can't get rid of the team, I think, to a certain extent after that Spurs game. My expectation of United really being able to achieve something big and great this season has gone down to low levels at the moment you know six points behind the top teams at the minute you know Liverpool and Chelsea and you know Spurs until this weekend were looking pretty decent you know and to be fair we've got Watford to deal with in two weeks time which will be a very very difficult game because they've had a ridiculous start to this Premier League campaign we'll move on from that for the time being I'm sure we'll come back to that because you know I think in particular if we're going to talk about after the Spurs game going to the Stretford end to clap the home fans I thought that was a again a good move, you know, certainly earning some brownie points and doing the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's, that's, that's true. You know, I think that when we talk about Mourinho, everything he does is calculated, you know, going to the away end as well. He knows that the away fans will appreciate that stuff. And I'm not saying that it's not welcome. You know, I think it's a good thing for him to do. I think if he wants to get people on side, the best people to do so are going to be the fans. So whether that's the Stretford end at home or if it's going to be the away end, and we know how great the support is whenever United go on the road, getting those people on side and keeping them on side is going to be a big part of whether or not he feels like he's got the backing to do the job ultimately because we all know what happens when the fans turn on you. That's when things get ugly. Mm. And at the moment, I think he's done a very careful, measured job and approach to trying to make sure that he's got some backing. 
which is a good shout. You know, the only thing I think that rubs me up slightly the wrong way about it is that, you know, what, six months ago, this guy was telling us that United are being kicked out of the Champions League at this stage frequently over the last several years and haven't done very well in the competition. So why should we be surprised? It's the same guy. And I'm not trying to undercut the fact that I appreciate him going to clap the fans because I think that's a really good step for him. But again, just think about the, his reasons for doing so. Is my advice on that one? Yeah, one of the kind of frustrating ways ways that this debate around his future and whatever else has has developed is in, into this kind of you're either for Mourinho or you're for the club or you're or rather you're for the owners or you're for Ed Woodward. You know, it's, it's kind of been and, and to a degree he's shaped that that debate. Part of what he's doing now is to get the fans on his side and to paint the those above him as the real problem at the club and that he is he is still a genius but what can he do with the, what he's been dealt it sort of was like created a, a polarized debate where a lot of people are in verticals team Mourinho because he's not the club and because he he in, in some ways standing up to Edward Warden the Glazers and it's very clever of him I mean he's played that very very well and he will continue to play that well because it's what he does and that is his way of removing himself as far as possible from culpability for any issues we have this season. But of course, it's actually not a binary debate. It's quite possible to believe that Glazers are parasites, that Edward Ward is semi-incompetent at his job and has done a very poor job as executive vice chairman over the last five years, and that Mourinho isn't doing a great job with what he's got either. That debate shouldn't be allowed to become polarised and the things that Mourinho is doing now shouldn't allow him to remove himself from culpability for the issues that the team's having as well. Because we have to remember that whilst the team obviously does have some areas of significant weakness, it also has an awful lot of good players or players that were awfully good players before Mourinho got hold of them. And that we've talked endlessly in the past about how many players have improved under Mourinho. Ultimately, the answer is somewhere in between that Edward Ward doing a bad job the Glazers are parasites and Jose should be doing more with what he's got. And so it's just it's difficult to watch this this divide grow between certain sections of the fan base who feel they have they have to take a side. And it has to be it has to be completely definitive and he cannot there can be no overlap, no grey areas, you have to be on a side. And Mourinho is playing into that. He knows what he's doing, you know, he hasn't been going to the fans, you know, chucking his coat into the fans and shaking hands every game for the last two and a bit years he's doing it because the team have been bad and because the pressure's on him you know he knows the press have been asking some particularly difficult questions which he doesn't like answering and it's just what he has to do to survive at the moment it comes back to the whole soap opera you know united are essentially what Bayern munich were 15 or 20 years ago when, when they were used to be called fc hollywood and it was just a load of egos on the pitch and egos in the boardroom and egos in the manager's desk. And, and United have become this soap opera, haven't they, where everybody's briefing against everybody else. And it's kind of what we saw Chelsea as seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Yeah, it's not a very comfortable situation. I mean, I think, you know, just to sidestep back to the actual football, which is what we're kind of here to talk about yeah, as well. But it's such a fascinating club. It's difficult. It's very easy to get sidetracked. At least we won, you know. I yeah. mean, it was a good performance. It wasn't fantastic, and there's easily an argument to say that we should have scored another two, three more goals had we been a bit sharper in front of goal. Yeah. And there is one thing to take from Lukaku's performance in the last couple of weeks is that he came back to the team without a proper full preseason, ready to play sooner than he really should have been. You know, he's not had the proper preparation, and he has not looked as sharp as he could be. But he took those two goal- goals very, very well. Yeah, they were 
set up on a plate for him. You know, the Sanchez cross was excellent. And Burnley, you know, it was shocking defending. They had no one anywhere near him. Really easy header for him. And the second goal, you know, complete calamity from the, initially from Lingard's shot. It was really good build-up play, actually, to create the chance. And it was a great piece of footwork for Lingard to actually create space for the shot. And Lingard there on hand to just thwack it home once the ball was loose. Great awareness from him. But, ugh, I mean, especially in that second half where Burnley were attacking so much and we had so many opportunities to counter, you just wanted to see us stick a couple of those chances away. You know, look at Pogba's penalty. I mean, that run-up, it looks absolutely fine if you score. Yeah. It looks incredibly terrible if you don't. And admittedly, a good save by Joe Hart, but I just had a feeling when he was running up for that, yeah, this isn't going to go very well. Um, and Lukaku, you know, two times with some excellent chances going in close and one-on-one with Joe Hart, took the ball around in one time. And I think it was, was it me who sort of Jumped. offered just enough effort and uh, sort of, jol- yeah, essentially, it wasn't great. And then, you know, Rashford's red card. At that point, I'm just worried that we've essentially given the game away. You know, 2-0 up, somewhat coasting, should have killed the game off. And then Rashford getting sent off. A better team, I think, would have taken advantage of that. And we, we could have easily been under a lot more pressure as that game wore on as a result. In terms of the red card, though, what did you make of it? I think the law is an act. <laughs> you know, what, what he did was, was not a headbutt. It was not an act that was going to cause injury or pain to Phil Bardsley, who really wound him up perfectly. But having seen Richarlison get sent off basically for doing the same thing two weeks ago, it was just naive, wasn't it? I think Mourinho said it was naive, and he's right. He didn't need to do it. He shouldn't have done it, and he just got played by you know an older head. John Moss had an absolutely epically bad second half. At, you know, essentially, Bartley did the same thing afterwards to Rashford, but seemed to get away with it, and, and also get away with the original kick that led to Rashford being so riled up. I think he's just going to have to take it and learn a lesson. It's just so frustrating because he, Rashford's United's career is stalled really has stalled. To me, he's not even the player he was two and a bit years ago. He just seems to have lost the directness to his play and he overcomplicates things. And I'm not even sure what his position is now. It's it's all a bit complicated. He really needed to get this season to get a run of games and to really take his chances. And just the first chance he's had really to do anything this season, he's gone and got himself sent off and he misses three games. It's it's mm. just a real shame and he was just it was just a silly thing to do. Yeah, not great. I mean I think again he's just got to learn from it. You know, ultimately that rule has served us quite well in the past too, so it's difficult to have too many complaints about it. And you know, looking at the footage again, I don't think John Moss has got unjust cause to send them both off. Or at least book them both. It was six of one after us and the other, but I understand why Rashford's been sent off. I don't think, as I said, we can have too many complaints about it. And at least we didn't buckle. You know, I thought De Gea had easily his best game of the season. He looked sharp. He was hitting everything away. And that was encouraging to see. And I thought defensively we looked quite good too. You know, how much of that you can attribute to Fellaini being in, well, just essentially in front of the back four. I don't know. But at the same time, we didn't come under any severe pressure to suggest that the defence wasn't capable of coping with anything that was thrown at them. So that's positive. And again, in a situation where we could very easily have struggled, it was good to get that first goal and it was good to then, essentially with that second goal, kill the game off and see it through. You know, what? that's exactly what we needed to do. It didn't need to be perfect. It didn't need to be flashy. It didn't need to be a stirring attacking performance. It just needed to be a win. And the team can go away now. The players can go away for the fortnight and hopefully go away with the national sides, have a bit of a breather and then come back for what is a big game against Watford. And after that, you know, we've got a relatively decent run of fixtures. We've got young boys in the Champions League in our first away game of the season. It's still a tricky run of fixtures if you're dealing with a team that is not firing on all cylinders and is still struggling with a bit of a crisis of confidence in some circumstances. 
but it's a relatively manageable run of games that United have got coming back. Now, we did say that, Spurs aside, at the start of this season. So, you know, I'm very firmly touching wood when I say that. But it was good to get that victory. You know, I think we needed that. I think to have gone into international break on the back of two defeats at a draw or three defeats would have potentially been very damaging. And you're already looking at, you know, the likes of City and Liverpool, and maybe Spurs as well. Obviously, before that loss to Watford yesterday, just going off into the sunset. I think we needed a big, I think we needed a, a good performance, a solid performance. And that's what we got. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult season if if our points of reference are City and Liverpool, I think, given the issues we have and given the strengths that those two sides have. I think they may well just end up being on another level and Chelsea as well. But I think what we need to focus on at the moment is just looking at ourselves, just focus on our own form, just focus on trying to win the game that's in front of us. No games are winnable, just easily winnable for us at the moment, but we've got a run of games that are relatively soft. I mean, the Watford game is obviously not soft at the moment. That's, that's going to be a very big challenge. But after that, as you say, we've, I think we've got Wolves at home and Young Boys and West Ham away. So really for us, we've just got to focus on just trying to win the next game in front of us, pick up as many points as we can and just see where we are in two months' time. And then think, you know, OK, so what's what's our point of reference for the end, for the rest of the season now? Where do we think we can realistically end up from here? Because at the moment, we're just trying to find an even keel, really. Yeah, we're in recovery mode to a certain extent. After we are in recovery defeats. mode, yeah. Yeah, so, it, you know, it's not going to help us looking at anybody else because I think there are a couple of teams at least who are just going to keep rolling out those wins. And if we judge ourselves by those for, for the, at, the, at the moment, then it's it's only going to give us negative answers. Next game, win that one, win that one, win that one and see where we are in, in a month or two. Yeah, and... You know, a series of wins can cover up a lot of problems. You know, if the team's winning, then that is infinitely going to be more palatable than defeats or draws and Mourinho stinking up the place with his attitude. Now, I much prefer Mourinho when he's got that little twinkle in his eye when he's talking about the plain banner and things like that to what we had during the summer. And I know Matic was talking at full time about the fact that he felt that he shields the players from that sort of criticism. And I think Mourinho has got an incredible ability to make headlines on his own and take the focus away from the team. You know, I think you would say to a certain extent, there's been less focus on Pogba since the Brighton game as a result of Mourinho and the way that he's gone about his dealings with the media. And we love Paul Pogba on this podcast, but he was terrible against both Brighton and Spurs. And he, he, along with most of his other teammates, had a much better game on Sunday against Burnley. But I think that is essentially what Mourinho has done, is take the pressure and the focus, well, maybe not the pressure, but certainly the focus away from a lot of underperforming players and really try to shape the narrative in terms of how people are looking at him and his management of the club as opposed to how some of the players are playing. There's certainly been less scrutiny to a certain extent. Obviously, we analyse the players with a, with a much sharper eye because we've been watching these players week in, week out for ages. So we know what to look for. We know when they're bad and we know when they're not great. But certainly that element of Mourinho's tactics is welcome to a certain extent, even obviously there's a lot of obfuscation about it. And regardless, speaking of uh, players who haven't had the greatest time, uh, Alexis Sanchez, a relative stinker against Leicester, but the general narrative seemed to be that he had a bit of a better game yesterday. What did you make of him? Yeah. Um... <laughs> no, yeah wow, Rich, it, tell it, me what you really yeah. think. Alexis Sanchez has been, I mean, there have been so many disappointments in terms of individual performances in the last year or so from United players and the United players that we've we've perhaps expected most from. And I don't think any of us have expected more than we have perhaps from 
Alexis Sanchez after he arrived. And I think it's fair to say that he's, he's ended up being considerably worse than the Anthony Martial that was playing in his position before he arrived. But there's still a player in there. There's still clearly a player in there. And in the, the pre-season tour, we saw if we got him close to the goal, that he could do a lot of damage. I, just, I don't think he's got the burst of pace, the acceleration that he perhaps had two or three years ago. And so the trick for United and for Mourinho is to get him in areas where he can cause damage. And I think particularly in the first half against Burnley, he did do that to a degree. Ultimately, he's there to change games, to influence games. And that's what he's not been doing. But what he did at the weekend was, you know, that cross was absolutely perfect for Lukaku. It really left him with a relatively to be simple header. And that's what he needs to start doing. He needs to start racking up the assists and the goals and actually impacting on games in a way that he just hasn't done for United and I know we've got this, this constant spectrum of who's to blame when when players are not performing is is it him or is it Mourinho and I suspect that it probably the answer is somewhere in between Mourinho struggled to find a, a way of playing him that's got anything like the best out of him and I'm sure Sanchez would admit himself that he's not played well in himself so We've just got this constant jigsaw puzzle with these. I think United have got a group of talented, creative and attacking players. But Mourinho just hasn't quite found a way so far to actually get the best out of them all. And that's just ongoing. But I think what, what Sanchez did against Burnley, particularly in the first half, was, was promising. The thing for Mourinho as a tactician and all of the players and the team as a whole is to do that in more than one game against a team who are absolutely on their asses. You know, go and do it, go and do it at Watford, at Watford in two weeks time and then I'll start to think you know what maybe we are starting to find one or two answers yeah yeah uh, it's pretty difficult to disagree you know even considering that you're one of the more morose United fans that I think I've ever met in my life (laughs) I don't (laughs) think you're wrong in what you're saying I think it again as I said it's really good that we got through that game yesterday considering the mood around you know the mood around the club is difficult to judge but considering how things had gone the previous two games and how things seem to be unravelling and Mourinho's tone and presence in press conferences. It was great to get through that game with a victory. We need to do more. That needs to be a point from which we kick on from and our performance level has to be upped. You know, that was good yesterday. It needs to be better more consistently and more frequently and we have to be able to have a plan in action or at least a response from the team from top to bottom when we go behind, you know, there needs to be more leadership. There needs to be more visible and physical presences on the pitch to be able to chuck the team on its back sometimes and just say, right, we're behind. We're going to go get back into this game. You know, that's not necessarily an easy thing when you haven't always had that over the last several years, but it's got to start at some point. And if it's going to, if it's going to happen from Mourinho, and when I say happen, I mean really properly happen in terms of getting us back up to the top of the Premier League and challenging or at least something of a force in Europe, that sort of stuff has got to start happening more frequently. Sunday was a good start. Now we've got Watford in two weeks' time and we want to see more. And I don't think that's unrealistic. I hope United can do it. I'm not necessarily sure I'm certain it'll happen over Vicarage Road because that's a ground that we've had a couple of problems here and there over the last several years. But fingers crossed, that was a positive start. Uh, You know, an occasion where we responded. Now it's got to be bigger. The response has got to be increased by the time we get back into Premier League duty. So we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks' time. Anyway, uh, a couple of questions to run off the evening. Uh, Joe Erdley, uh, why does Valencia mentally crumble when he gets into crossing positions? I don't know. Do you remember, I think it was the 12-13 season with, with Van Persie, wasn't it? And I think Valencia had something like 11 or 12 assists in the uh, 
in the Premier League. It was absolutely absurd. And then he just stopped doing it. I don't know what, what on earth has happened. But yeah, I mean, he just clearly has no confidence in his own crossing, which is probably right because his crossing is terrible. <laughs> It's well, it's true. good. Well, I can't disagree. You know, it's difficult to suggest otherwise. I mean, again, going back to Sanchez, at least Lukaku scored a goal as a result of a very, very good delivery by a player that wasn't him. That's not yeah. something we've seen yeah. too often. <laughs> now, the other part of Joe's question, and do you think United's lopsided attack, all left, is a benefit or a hindrance? Very predictable, but teams do shift over to that side and leave lots of space on the right. We just don't make the most of it. I mean, that's true, because essentially our right-sided attack is, what, Valencia? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not ideal. It, it isn't. Um, um, we, we've not kind of mentioned, I mean, I think I think Jesse Lingard was quite good against Burnley as well. And he's got mm. lots of qualities. You know, he finds space really well. He's quite intelligent. He's quite technically good on the ball. He's quick passing and quite good in tight areas. But he ain't a winger. And he's not, he's not overly pacey. He's not going to dribble past a couple of players down the right and cross perfectly onto Lukaku's head and as you say we have no right hand side and it's one of the frustrations for me that um, okay so Mourinho wanted Willian but the club didn't want to give him Willian and he would have cost an awful lot of money for a guy of his age then why weren't we looking at other younger alternatives because the the difference that a, a genuinely pacey skillful right hand right hand sided midfielder stroke winger would have made to this team is enormous. That's something we're going to have to deal with now until until January. E.K. Yegorala asks, uh, well, Smalling, Fellaini were excellent and the team overall played for each other. Yep, good start. Can't disagree with that. thought Fellaini was pretty decent. I was a bit concerned about that midfield three with uh, Matic and Pogba, simply because, Pogba aside, that is not necessarily a particularly mobile one. And the last time we saw Matic and Fellaini play together was severe, and I just don't want to think about it. Um, should that be our starting 11 slash back four for the next couple of games? Uh, no. Back four? Not necessarily convinced. Again, I still am very much keen to give Bai and Lindelof more chances. You know, again, I think the issues that some of our players have got at the minute is that they know if they make a mistake and they're not the likes of what Pogba or Lukaku, maybe even Pogba to a certain extent. They're going to get dropped. If they're not favoured by him, then they're not necessarily going to stick around if they drop a clanger. And I guess you could look at, to a certain extent, Lindelof came on as a substitute against Spurs, almost conceded almost straight away with that terrible back pass to De Gea and Dele Alli wasn't able to score. But at least he started the next game. So that's something of a vote of confidence. Lord knows how long that'll last. But still, I mean, that starting eleven. I mean, with it being Bur- with it being Watford, I can see him actually choosing that just purely because... That's not necessarily the most attacking lineup, and I think he expects Watford to have a lot of the ball and press us quite high. That team could actually do some damage on the counters, so I wouldn't necessarily be against it. I just think if you're going to pick a better side, I would probably take Matic out and put Fred in. That Watford midfield is far, far, far more mobile than Burnley's is. I mean, I think you know, in the more global sense, you know, sometimes you see you see the genius of his tact, him as a tactician, or his brilliance as a tactician, and the, the issue we've had is we've seen it in in not enough games, but against Burnley, he got it completely right. You know, Burnley don't have a mobile midfield. He played Fellaini in front of the back too because he knew they'd just be chucking crosses in at us and he could he dropped back. He dropped very, very deep a lot into her own box and that worked very, very well. Against Watford, Watford have got a far more mobile midfield. There's a lot more dynamism, a lot more pace. They've got better athletes in there. And I think if you play Matic and Fellaini, you're asking for trouble because... As we saw with Sevilla, once you bypass them, you're dead. 
and I think we may need to be a bit cleverer. I mean, Watford aren't aren't, aren't the best side defensively, and they're, they're actually a very attacking side. There will be space there for us to do damage, and I think if we just sit back in the way we did against Burnley with, with Fellaini sitting, I think we're probably going to find ourselves under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we didn't do so well yesterday was close the space down when Burnley did attack. And especially in moments of that second half when we went down to 10 men, gaps were appearing. You know, we weren't punished because Burnley weren't on it. And you know, that Europa League campaign is definitely taking its toll so early on in the season. Last question tonight, Andrew Dayton. Uh, when are Jones and Smalling getting sold? They're a liability, absolutely stealing a living from United. Rich, have you got the answer to that? Probably never, to be fair. Look at the look of it. I don't know, but, but when it happens... The drinks are on me. <laughs> now, admittedly, I don't think Smalling's been that bad lately. Yeah, probably in the last 12 months, Smalling's been our least horrific centre-back. Well, even when he's been terrible, if he drops a clanger, at least he does something like score the winner against City. So he has his redeeming moments. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least defensively, at least defensively, you know, you, you, you'll get from Smalling, you'll get a 7 out of 10 every game, I'd say. And given that the other players we've got are capable of throwing a 9 or a 2, every game, then I can see why Mourinho's opts to partner him with one of the others. Someone made a very good point on Twitter, actually. We have had no stable partnerships in defence under Mourinho at all. And, and and what we just need to do for a while, I think, is if he finds a partnership that plays well, and perhaps that might be Smalling and Lindelof, I don't know, whoever, but he just needs to, just needs to hang in there with them for a few games and let them develop because none of them none of them ever play with each other two games in a row i'm almost at a point now where i don't i don't think smalling or what terrible issue he is i just think can we please have two center backs who play next to each other three games in a row and if that one of those has to be smalling then so be it for now <laughs> he said okay. ominously <laughs> we'll yeah. leave it there for now rich but yeah i guess to end off on a rather positive note because there's been several sour points over the last couple of weeks it felt good to get that win let's hope we can build on it yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. If we beat what if we beat Watford, I'll, I think everyone will feel an, an awful lot better about the season ahead. Absolutely, yeah. And what, actually, one quick thing to discuss is the Champions League campaign or another return for Ronaldo, because of course, so Old Trafford with Juventus yet to score a goal, but you wouldn't bet against him uh, breaking that deadlock no. if he hasn't already uh, against United, would you? I think we'll play for second in that group, aren't we? Which is which is fair enough. You know, we've got a chance there. Well, let's be honest. Young boys aren't necessarily the easiest side. You know, we we habitually struggle against Basel in some way whenever we play them. We lost to Basel, a Basel team that finished seven points below Young Boys last year. So yeah, I mean, admittedly, that was the last game of the Champions League group stages. So there's some context to pull into the equation there. But the point yeah, is, with Young Boys, we better not take them lightly because if we lose that first game playing against a good Valencia side and a very capable Juve side, we could find ourselves in real trouble very quickly. I think the aim there is to try and get six points in the first two games. We'll gobble into at home and then just suck it up against Juve and try and be in a position where we can we can finish second in the group after these first four games. That sounds perfect to me. Right, Rich, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your company as always. And guys, thank you very, very much for listening. Glad you could join us. Sorry for taking a couple of weeks off there. That was mostly for holiday purposes. Plus, United were terrible, so there's that. Anyway, uh, don't forget you can get us all over Twitter. You can get the pod at, at @redvoicesmufc. You can get Rich at, at @richardcan76. You can get me at you and Leonard. Have yourselves a wonderful international break. Whoever you support, we'll be back soon. Take care. Bye bye.